Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, where every Wednesday, Flo and I will pick one article from all the brilliant stuff that's available on The Athletic and we'll put our writers under the spotlight. Although this week, Flo, we are doing something slightly different, aren't we? Yeah, everyone has decided that they're going to take a holiday while we're not taking a holiday. So that means we're not going to be able to chat to the two writers of the piece, but we will be chatting to Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey. He's going to talk all about the truth and the evidence behind um, Thomas Tuchel's brilliant start as Chelsea manager, as well as Lukaku's arrival at Stamford Bridge and, and how Chelsea are looking like one of the favourites for the title. Yeah, so... A little later on, we're going to take a look at dancing double sessions and the Backstreet Boys, how Tuchel got Chelsea ready for the season. But just before we get into that flow, let's talk a little bit about the opening weekend in the Premier League. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was brilliant. I think top of the list has to be fans being back. Of course. I think that just that just lifts the mood. Um, you were at Vicarage Road. Yeah, um, that, obviously was not, that was not quite, top of the list. Wasn't quite the start to the season, but... The vibes and the away end must have still been bouncing, right? The train journey, all those bits and pieces. That was still enjoyable. Oh, the journey back was not because it took me four not hours. Not the journey but, back, but, but no, the journey but no, there. I the journey well, yeah, being back was brilliant. Being in the pub with all the Villa fans before the game. We took over one of the Weatherspoons pubs. You know, it's been 18 months since we've been able to do, do things like that. And just being back in an away end, it was really, really good. But as always with the Villa away day, it's the football that absolutely kills you. So that was the worst part of the day was obviously the game. I was not expecting to be 3-0 down, but it was great. And even just watching the games on telly, they felt better because fan, fans are back. I really enjoyed the two games on Sunday sitting at home and, and watching them did you catch them as well yeah that that Newcastle game, yeah, that game was especially good really good atmosphere really lively I really enjoyed that um, and I think even yeah like you said even just watching the match of the day feels different when you've mm. got fans there just there's just more colour to it there's more there's more texture that everything is just completely different um, you know although there were good games last season everything just had this kind of stale undertone and yeah I think fans back was probably the best for me um, Friday night Arsenal moving to Brentford were quite funny um, sorry producer Adonis um, but yeah it's just it's just it was just a, a hilarious way to kickstart the season given the anxiety that the Arsenal fans already have about this season I mean what a way to, to get your campaign underway against Premier League new boys in the brand new stadium uh, Friday night under the lights I mean it's it's been such a cracking uh, opening weekend that I think hopefully it's only going to get better and better from here because I think everyone was on such a high come Sunday night I think Brentford beating Arsenal was the least surprising thing 
of my weekend. I mean, it was just just fully expected. Yeah, you could kind of predict it, right? Given yeah, the, the trajectory of those two sides. Yeah, Arsenal were always going to lose on Friday night. And if you want to read more about your club and all those other clubs that we've just mentioned, let me quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic at the moment and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. If you head to theathletic.com slash Ornstein, you'll be able to take advantage of that offer. to shoot so he yes how about this Trevor Chalober on his Premier League debut his first Chelsea goal it's a beauty it's a moment it's wonderful right then let's deep dive into the Chelsea piece then it's Simon Johnson's piece but he's on holiday we're going to hear from Rafa later so Liam Toomey You've agreed to come on and speak to us and take all the credit for the piece. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I feel like this is my career at the Athletic, uh, piggybacking on the work of more talented colleagues. <laughs> Flo, it was a great start for Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, really good start. I know lots of people like the look of Patrick Vieira's Palace this season, um, and. Chelsea just blew them out of the water, really. Um, they look so good. I mean, I know a lot of people already think that they're one of the favourites of the title. And I think they just really proved that. And then they've got Lukaku still to join and probably play on Sunday. So, yeah, they look pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Simon covered the opening day, but um, watching the game on TV, you could just... I think with all the Premier League games this weekend, you could really feel the difference, couldn't you? The energy in the stadiums. Yeah. Um, I think there was... I'm not sure the exact statistics, but there was a return of home advantage, wasn't there, in a lot of these matches. Um, and, and I think Chelsea certainly benefited once that Alonso free kick went in. There was a real feel-good atmosphere that you often get on the opening day when things are going well. Um, and Chelsea never really looked back. Yeah, so much going on at Chelsea at the, at the moment. Obviously, off the back of a great season, well, great second half of the season under Tuchel, a Champions League win. Got to admit, when I started reading this piece, I wasn't expecting to read anything on the Backstreet Boys, but they they figure quite heavily in in Simon's piece. You got a favourite Backstreet Boys song, Liam? Uh, what's the one they always play at weddings? Uh, is it "I Want It That Way"? I guess oh, that's I want it that way. way. Absolute belter flow. Backstreet Boys are back. Is that the one? You know the music video where it's like a haunted house yeah, mansion thing. I do. That's I, a unfortunately, good one. unfortunately, I, I do know exactly what what you're talking about. I don't have a favourite Backstreet Boys song because it's my wife's favourite band, and they absolutely do my head in when they come up on on, on the Alexa. Liam, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Does that just show the feel good around the camp that there's things like that going on? Yeah, I think. I mean, Tuchel's not the first coach to do things like that I mean we've heard for years about new signings at Chelsea being forced to sing initiations so the, the whole idea of a singing forfeit is uh, not something he's invented but it is quite a nice um, a nice application of it you know to, to generate a bit of friendly competition in these drills and just to lighten the atmosphere because pre-season should not be a slog I mean that the physical work is hard um, and players are prepared for that but I think you know, the best coaches know how to make it a kind of fun preparation for the season. And, and Tuchel has been known throughout his career for doing, you know, slightly quirky things during pre-season, taking, taking his squad on, on, on exotic trips. And, you know, that sort of thing isn't possible at the moment with the world as it is, but you can still try and make the training ground atmosphere a bit more fun, particularly in a summer like this one, where you've got a lot of lone players in the group a lot of players whose futures aren't necessarily at chelsea and the first team guys 
um, staggered coming back after a summer of international commitments. Yeah, I mean, staggering flow that there's 42 first team classed as, as senior players. I guess, I mean, how difficult must it be to manage that and how unique? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I think for a lot of clubs, that is never a positive thing. I mean, I think of Nottingham Forest being the kind of standard model for that in the championship, um, always, always just loading players up um, and and having such a bloated squad and it, it still hasn't worked out in their favour. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really a difficult one to manage. But I think the... Having the bonus of that kind of magical moment um, with Jalla on the weekend it is probably ease some of that because I think, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, a Chelsea fan yesterday, and they were saying the the one of the the, the one of the core benefits of Lampard's reign, you know, although on the pitch at times it wasn't great and I think there's a lot of questions still about his quality as a coach, he did work hard to build trust with the fans and you know whether or not it was enforced just because of the the transfer embargo but he he brought those young players in and they came to the the forefront right and and that was really crucial because we'd only ever seen Chelsea young players being loaned out and we never really got to see them take their moment so it's gonna be interesting one going forward how they continue to do that because there's still a lot of big names who are going to want game time who Chelsea have paid good money for and there's an expectation that they're going to play. So how do they how do they keep that balance with ensuring the young players who are coming through the academy aren't just being loaned out constantly because they've got that reputation now and that and that Chalaba moment can't just be a a, a one off. There still needs to be some kind of platform to step up. Yeah, I think Tuchel has made um, a big point in recent interviews, you know, when he's asked about Chalaba after that opening day game. Um of saying there needs to be a pathway still, um, regardless of Chelsea's commitment to spending, regardless of their how big their recruitment gets in the market, um, there has to be some sort of opening, or at least, just as importantly, the perception of an opening um, as far as a lot of these academy players are, are concerned. And, and that's been tested at Chelsea over the summer. You, know, you saw Tino Livramento leave because he thought his prospects were better at Southampton. Um, Lewis Bate, the same at Leeds. Um, you know, Chelsea are struggling to convince some of these guys um, that that they they're, the openings are there for them, at least in the short to medium term. And it's inevitable they're going to lose some of those battles. But if you have Mountain James entrenched in the first team and, and a key part of what Tuchel is doing, if you have guys like Chalobah, um coming through, you know, relatively late in the day, he's 22, is a lot, he's a lot considerably older than the average kind of academy breakthrough. Uh, as long as you have stories like this, even if they're relatively rare, they show it's at least possible. And then you can, and then the likes of Neil Barth and Jim Fraser can take that into conversations with some of the academy's best prospects and, and have something real to, to pitch them with. I mean, I guess the nine subs will be something that's an advantage to Chelsea with, with the sheer size of their squad. But I just wanted to ask you, Liam, what struck me most about, about Thomas Tuchel since he's been there, Whoever plays in his system, it doesn't matter who they are, he seems to elevate them. They seem to play to a, to a, some players seem to play to a level that I've not seen them play before. And it, anyone that comes in knows exactly what they're doing. I know that sounds a stupid thing to say, but it's not, not always the case in football. But it, it just seems so well drilled. Everyone seems to feel a part of it when they're on a pitch, and everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's a mark of how accomplished a coach 
Tuchel is and how how effective a communicator he is. Um, you know, he sets the standard that if you don't do what he tactically wants you to do, you won't get on the pitch in the first place. And he's got enough players, he's got enough quality in that squad to to uphold that standard. And that means that the the players that you do see that make it onto the pitch and is starting eleven or off the bench. Um, are there because they know what they're expected to do in every situation with the ball, without the ball, passing, pressing. Um, and, and you know, that was the underpinning of last season's Champions League triumph, the fact that Chelsea were probably the most cohesive team in the Champions League, even if they didn't necessarily have the most individual talent. Uh, and I, I think that will continue to be the absolute bedrock of everything Tuchel is trying to do here. Yeah, would you go along with that, Fleur? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I guess one of the one of the other questions I have, and I know it's it's been mentioned in some of the comments of the piece as well, is I don't want to turn into um, Karen Carney and, and start getting pelters from Leeds fans, but that intensity, that that physicality that that Tuchel prioritised in pre season, we already saw flashes of that on Saturday, and how the inevitable question is, and one of the questions from the readers was. Won't they be exhausted? <laughs> Come, you know, winter that 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 grueling period after that what brief winter break after kind of New Year, you know, that that's going to be crucial if they're going to be going deep into lots of competitions with ambitions to try and do back to back Champions League titles. How can any group physically sustain that? Yeah, I think it's a fair point to make, particularly when you throw in that Chelsea will have to do the Club World Cup in December as well. Um, and the last season in which they had that was 2012-13. Uh, I think they ended up playing 70-odd games that season. It was it was the never-ending campaign. Um, but I think that's where the big squad has to come into it. Um, Tuchel does place these, these intense physical demands on his players, but he has a lot of them. Uh, and he has a lot of good ones in in most Chelsea now have cover in most positions high quality cover in most positions and I think a, a key challenge for Tuchel this year will be to avoid falling into the trap that that some previous Chelsea coaches like Antonio Conte Jose Mourinho in particular fallen into of settling on a core of 13 14 players that they really trust to the detriment of everyone else um, because Chelsea will need probably 18, 19, 20, you would think, um, across all these competitions to perform at a high level if, if Chelsea are going to have a chance of winning mo- multiple trophies. Um, and that's where that will be a, a, you know, a man management challenge for Tuchel um, in terms of keeping everyone happy and feeling as if they're involved enough. But it will also be a physical challenge of making sure that he's, he's picking the players that are physically ready to do what he wants to do in every moment. Yeah, and it's not even just fitness in that respect as well. Is It's competition for places because if you know there's 13 or 14 who are always going to be in the matchday squad, then no one's ever looking over their shoulder, right? And and knowing that the depth is good enough for them to be pushed out of, of their position. And I think with any when, when you see any manager's reign end, I think before it comes to a close, you always see the competition for places just slowly disintegrate because uh, there's players that know that regardless of performances regardless of fitness they will always be in that team and I think that's when you see managers and teams at their best is when you know Guardiola and his heavy rotation is like when you you never know the the starting 11 that, that might that might come out because the competition for places is so high 
Yeah, and I think you could definitely see that became a big problem towards the end from from Mourinho and Conte, um, where their their stalwarts didn't feel that you know that pressure breathing down their neck from from players trying to get in. The Sarri um, substitutes that that the fans would just constantly be basically watching watching the clock and waiting for that Barkley and marking Kovacic for Barkley and, on yeah. their on their bingo card. Yeah, yeah and have, having so, the minutes. You know, you don't state. want that. That's just so stale. You need there to be a surprise element still. And I think that's what Chelsea have in abundance this season, right? Is that bench, you look and you think, well, anyone could come and, and change the game, especially if a player like Kai Havertz, because he's put in so many hours even before the season started, isn't even starting those games. You know, that's just incredible. Yeah, and I think what you saw that was one of Chelsea's main uh, strengths last season, although it did result in a you know, an underperformance in terms of goals um, was that because Tuchel had so many different types of forwards, particularly options for that front three, um, Chelsea were a little bit of a chameleon at that end of the pitch. They were very well structured defensively. That didn't really change and the personnel didn't change too much. But the front three, sometimes he would have split strikers and a number 10. Sometimes he would have a fixed number nine with what he calls a left 10, the right 10, either side of them. And that would vary depending, sometimes in game, uh, but it would vary depending on the type of team they were playing. And I, I don't actually see that changing, even though Lukaku is now at Chelsea. I, th- I think he's capable of fitting into that more fluid structure as well. Yeah, he was Tuchel, the tinker man, last season with the, the front three positions, all the, all the front positions. But one man, I've just literally had a notification flash up on my phone saying Tammy Abraham's gone to, to Roma for €40 million, Euros, so he won't be part of that rotation. Now, probably opens up the number nine shirt for Lukaku quite nicely as well he was one person that Tuchel just was never having you know we talk about rotation and players that he's played Tammy Abraham wasn't just someone he didn't seem to like yeah yeah and you know I don't think we've had a proper explanation at least from publicly from Tuchel as to why that was I can only really go on what I saw in those kind of ghost game stadiums where you can hear what the coach is saying um, from the touchline and on the rare occasions when Abraham would get onto the pitch um Tuchel was straight on to him in terms of um, accusing him kind of of not carrying the intensity that he wanted to see in that position, pressing, working without the ball. Um, and so I get, I think in that sense, the conclusion I drew was that it was less of a kind of footballing thing and more of a personality thing. I don't want that to be confused with a personal issue. I don't, I think their relationship personally was fine. Um, but in terms of Abraham showing the kind of personality on the pitch that Tuchel wanted to see Um, and I I don't necessarily think that's a bad reflection on Abraham or where his career will go from here I just think it was a case of a player not fitting with what a coach wanted from that position in that player Um, I, I you know I think this move is a sad one for a lot of Chelsea fans who really wanted to see Abraham become you know a kind of homegrown heir to Drogba or like Chelsea's answer to Harry Kane um not quite as popular comparison this summer, but uh, um, so it's sad in that sense. But I think he he still goes down as a huge developmental success for Chelsea's academy. Whenever you sell a player for thirty four mm. million pounds that you've brought through since the before the age of ten, um, that's a big success. They have the buyback, and and if Abraham becomes the level of striker that you know his biggest fans think he's capable of becoming, if he becomes one of the most reliable goal scorers in Europe. £68 million could actually be reasonable value if you compare it to what Chelsea have just paid to acquire Lukaku. 
Yeah, I suppose what I mentioned earlier, it comes back to that, doesn't it? If fans are still a little bit frustrated and disappointed that, yes, the team are winning, and for most fans, that's the top priority, right? You know, As long as they're winning, and he won the Champions League in his in his first half season with them, you know, for, for, for most, that's enough. But especially with the backdrop of the Super League and there being those protests at Stamford Bridge and Petr Cech having to come kind of calm people down and negotiate with them, you do feel like in the background there's still a sense of um, a bit of an identity crisis, I think, at times, of still being one of these European super clubs that's that's chasing, always chasing trophies and always chasing big-name players, but also having a huge resource at, at your expense of, of, of academy talent. So what will it take for fans to feel comfortable with who Chelsea are and where they're going? Is, is winning enough or do they need to see more Chalabers in the first team and, and fewer Abrahams walking out the door? Honestly, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, I think in now more than ever, because I kind of have to live on Chelsea Twitter part of the day for my job, um, I, I've seen that, you know, a fan base, particularly a global one like Chelsea's, doesn't speak with one voice. As you say, there are some fans, um, I think a lot, you know, a lot of the traditional, you know, legacy Chelsea fans, as as they're dismissively called sometimes, um, definitely want to feel that connection um, and they want the Mounts, the Jameses, you know, the the Chalabars, the, the the ones that might come after them um, to offer continuing reminders of that connection to the club. It's why they embraced Frank Lampard as manager um, as much as they did and why they were so devastated when he was sacked. Um, there are other fans around the world for whom that's that's really not as important. Um, they they just want to see a winning team. They, you know, they grew up watching the dominant Chelsea sides with Drogba and Czech and, and you know, an international galaxy of stars around John Terry and, and Lampard. Um, and they just want to see the best players playing for Chelsea, the best possible Chelsea teams winning the biggest trophies. Um, so I, I, I think it will always be a, a debate and that the kind of disconnect has, has felt by some has kind of ebbed and flowed as well. I think it was probably at its height under Sarri um, when a lot of fans didn't identify with what he was trying to do in terms of his football, but there was also frustration about a lack of opportunities for Hudson Odoi, Loftus Cheek, a sense of what are we becoming as a club, um, and then it kind of reared its head again when when Lampard was sacked and and before Tuchel came in and and really began to gather momentum. I think a lot of fans were really questioning where the club was going to sack a club legend in in as ruthless a fashion as they did. Um, Tuchel has has kind of managed that extremely well, and winning the Champions League always helps. So I think for now it's it's not perhaps as much in the foreground as it's been in the recent past. But I expect it will continue to be a part of the conversation in the fan base. Let's hear now from one of the contributors to this great piece. It's Rafa Honigstein on how Tuchel's learned from his experiences at PSG and Dortmund, and how he's taken that into this Chelsea job. Hi guys, Raf Honigstein here. I'm happy that you're enjoying the piece. And it was enjoyable to write, although most of the work was done by Simon Johnson. Enjoyable because you're dealing with a story of someone being really happy in, in his job and being happy with his surroundings, getting the sense that this really is his club, perhaps for the first time. At Mainz, he was very much in the shadow of Klopp and had a very powerful figure in Christian Heidel, 
beside him, above him. Uh, could never really quite call the shots, even though he was tremendously successful at Dortmund, where things fell apart after little over a year. There was, in his mind, a lot of interference and a lot of arguments about uh, transfer policy and details and things uh, became quite uh, conflict-ridden there. And at Chelsea at the moment, uh, which is also a club that can have a bit of conflict at times, um, he feels as if he's being left to his own devices and just enjoys that independence and that serenity that comes with being left to your own devices, I guess. I also think he's learned one or two lessons from his earlier jobs, namely to manage people a bit better. I think the appointment of Scholt Löw as an assistant, uh, uh, a former player of his who he took to PSG, really helped him in that respect. Uh, Löw is somebody who really provides that glue and feel-good factor in a dressing room, which Tuchel being slightly more cerebral and maybe aloof is perhaps not quite as good as in doing so, but he is smart enough to recognise that that was perhaps something that was missing, and so he added a member of staff to do that for him, which is of course the sign of a of a very good manager if he surrounds himself with people that make his and the team's job better. So all told, looks very very good. Uh, let's see how long the feel good factor will last. This is the Athletic Football Podcast and there's still plenty left to discuss with Liam, including Romelu Lukaku's return to the bridge. We'll be back after this. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the brand new Athletic Football Podcast and this is what we have planned for you across our network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman Podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly... With all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic 
is now the world's biggest football podcast network. So one of the things they also touched on in this piece, and there's something, you know, we've talked a lot about with Mourinho at his reign at Manchester United, where I think he spent the entire time living out of a hotel. Um, Tuchel's finally moved into a house and he's brought his family over. And we know how how much that can impact a manager and and how much it can kind of change their, their just general demeanour. So how much has it impacted him now he's no longer living out of a suitcase? I think where well, he he projects the image of a very happy man, doesn't he? Um, you know, he he looked. I think a big part of of Tuchel's emotions on the on the pitch at Stadio de, de Dragao as Chelsea celebrated the Champions League was actually being reunited with his family um, and getting to getting to celebrate with them. He'd he'd seen them very very little during those few months in London. They'd remained in Paris for for virtually all of that time. Um, and so I, I, you know, I can only imagine it will make him feel so much more settled. Um, it's always a slight risk laying down roots at Chelsea uh, as a coach because you, you have no idea. Putting your kids in in schools is always a risky one in that part of the world. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember you know Antonio Conte moving his wife and and daughter over the summer after he won the Premier League title, just as things began to go pear shaped with the Chelsea board and 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 uh, and things began that kind of downward trajectory um so I, I, it's something we don't often give enough thought to as as people on the outside as fans as, as journalists is these are people as well as professionals um and they have their real world connections and support structures and to have his family around him now will make um cobham feel more like home than than ever before um so it, it it's really really important, and I think uh, I think you can already see it in Tuchel's face and the and the way he's talking about his job now. I think it was in one of Michael Calvin's books um, where he talked about how Chelsea were were one of the few clubs at the time to hire someone on staff whose entire role was just about assimilating players and helping them move in to their new club, and and not many clubs had really prioritised that. You know, they would help them find a home, help their kids get into schools, uh, you know, all those annoying admin things that you actually really need help with and the things you want to do the least. Um, so it, it definitely makes a huge difference. And then obviously they went on to have a, a massively successful era. I mean, this is kind of the Drogba time he touches on the book. So um, Dan, I, I know, you know, you you were saying that you can really see how he, his mood has been lifted, right? Yeah, I just think he's, he seems quite relaxed, to be honest, Liam, throughout his entirety of his time at Stamford Bridge, he always looks quite cool and calm. Looks like he's enjoying himself. Obviously, that'll go up another notch now with his family being there. I just think back to when he was at PSG and he'd hurt his leg, didn't he? And he was on crutches. I remember him in a Champions League. He looks stressed. He did, he did, I don't get that vibe at Chelsea at all. But that's weird because Chelsea are a club. I imagine it's quite stressful to, to manage. You're always worried about your future and things like that. So it is. I do feel like there's been a bit of a change in him since his last job. Well, I think we have to draw the distinction between what he looks like during the ninety minutes on the touchline and what his uh, and and what his demeanour has been at all other times um, in his kind of public facing 
role at Chelsea. I think on the touchline, he's looked pretty stressed at times, to be fair, particularly when Chelsea were missing chance after chance in, in many games last season. He was, he was close to pulling his hair out at some of the finishing. Um, but uh, but aside from that, every time he's spoken to the media, um, in his dealings with players, he's obviously very demanding in training, but he you know he projects the right the right emotions at the right times um and i think you know a big part of this which is something that raf has written about a lot i know in his in his background pieces on tuchel is that he's he's evolved as a coach he's he's actively learned from past mistakes and past experiences at different clubs and i think psg was so testing for him and the way that he was previously operating in so many ways the fact that you have two absolute superstars in Neymar and Kylian Mbappe, who are, to all intents and purposes, entirely unaccountable within the club, you know, um, I think I think that was a very unique environment for him to try to manage in, and and he had to be the one that made the adjustments and the accommodations, um, and then working with someone like Leonardo, a sporting director who has clashed with several people um, that he has employed. Um, I think, in contrast, he has found the structure at Chelsea, which other coaches have had problems with in the past, um, to be very easy for him to assimilate into. And he's been a, he's been a very good company man so far. Um, I think that's something that has been a really pleasant surprise to Chelsea because I know when they were when they were looking at appointing Antonio Conte originally, they looked at Tuchel and they were wary um, because of the things they were hearing about him being difficult to work with. I mean, can't hide from the irony of them then appointing Antonio Conte and everything that <laughs> transpired from there. But uh, there's no doubt that, that, that Tuchel is not um, carrying himself in the same way now. He, he's, he's being much more co- sort of um, collegiate with the people above him, collaborative with the people above him, giving his opinions but not trying to dictate things. He didn't assume that winning the Champions League would give him more power than he had before, which was something that Conte assumed when he won the Premier League in, in 2017. Um, and he's he's been, you know, tactful in dealing with most players. Um, and he's managed to, even if he can't keep them all happy, he's managed to keep the, the dressing room broadly together and managed to avoid some of the you know political problems that we've maybe seen under previous coaches and he'll have to keep doing that because those two things you know managing up and managing down are absolutely critical to the long-term survival of any coach at Chelsea. One of the players who uh, Tuchel is hoping is gonna stop him pulling what's left of his hair out is Romelu Lukaku. Um, A huge addition to that team and could be the title winning player that kind of completes what everything for them because yeah like you mentioned they did miss a lot of opportunities Timo Werner being kind of the prime candidate for those missed opportunities but this is exactly the sort of player they need um why do you think the 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 Chelsea hierarchy was so willing to splash the cash on a player who they had ready to go 10 years ago and you know have now sort of ended up with with egg on their face when they could have got someone like Haaland who they were linked with or even potentially Harry Kane I know they touched on that in the piece why were they so willing to eat their humble pie and say you know what we'll sign the check we'll get the man that we we had you know before well I think there's a couple of aspects to this I think first of all if you know if you were able to ask 
people in Chelsea's hierarchy um, about Lukaku, they would probably argue that they didn't think he was entirely ready in 2014 when he left for Everton. The the alternative was signing Diego Costa, who emphatically was ready to lead a Premier League title team. And I don't think Chelsea regret that decision. It was a win-now move. Um, you know, Lukaku wasn't ready to wait. He wanted to play regularly. I think he'd, he'd done enough to prove that he deserved to play regular football in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, he proved at Everton subsequently that he was ready to make that step. But... The step to being the leading striker at Chelsea at, at that age, I think, was maybe slightly beyond him at that stage of his development, um, whereas Costa was fully formed. The I think the one that, that Chelsea might regret, uh, if you if you gave them truth serum, uh, might be the summer of 2017, um, where they were they were willing to bring Lukaku back then. Uh, and they wanted to, to bring him back from Everton. They were willing to spend not quite 100 million, but about three quarters of that um, to to re-sign him from Everton to replace Costa and a combination of you know the the kind of relationship with Mino Raiola um, the charm offensive that Manchester United mounted through Paul Pogba and Jose Mourinho uh, meant they got burned uh, and and they lost out on him when they uh, I think at a point when they when they were pretty confident they would have a deal um, and that doesn't happen to Chelsea very often at that stage. And then they had to pivot and go for Alvaro Morata, which didn't work work out well for anyone involved. Not least Lukaku, who didn't particularly enjoy himself at Manchester United. So it's not been purely a case of them turning around this summer and thinking, oh, we should go and get Lukaku. They, they've been dancing around each other for quite a long time. They've liked him for ever since they, they let him go. Um and I think everything that he's done in the last two years into Milan has suggested another leap um, where now he he is what Costa was in 2014. He is the fully formed product, the, one of the most reliable goal scorers in Europe, as close to a sure thing as you can get in this market. And yes, their first choice was Haaland, um, but they were given absolutely no encouragement from either Borussia Dortmund or Haaland and his people that a deal was actually feasible this summer. Um, and so they had to pivot at some stage and that point was you know, mid to late July and, and once they realised that Lukaku was gettable because of Inter's situation and, and his change of heart about coming back to England they moved very very quickly because they like Lukaku Tuchel really likes him and they were convinced that he's the, the right kind of final piece for this team Yeah I mean he's a better player than he was when he left Stamford Bridge the first time around but like you say He's far more well-rounded and a better player than he was when he joined Manchester United four years ago as well. So does Lukaku now elevate Chelsea to title favourites in your opinion? To be honest, I think Manchester City should always be title favourites as as long as Pep Guardiola's there um, because of all of the advantages they have. They have the biggest resources, even though Chelsea have huge resources. City's resources are bigger. They have the deepest squad. They have the coach that has defined the last decade um, so City should always go into every season as favourites but I think Chelsea have definitely established themselves now as the likeliest challengers in the same way that Liverpool did um, you know, the, the season before they actually won the Premier mm. League title when they pushed City all the way and actually the season before they lost the Premier League title by a point when they beat City in the Champions League 
in the same in a similar fashion to the way Chelsea beat City in the Champions League. They kind of signalled that they were the they were the emerging contenders. I think Chelsea are on a similar trajectory, and um, and they've addressed their biggest obvious weakness. I think there's no reason to expect the defence to massively fall off from what it was under Tuchel last year, which was best in Europe levels. Um, their their general tactical cohesion, the strength of their midfield with and without the ball is formidable. And now they, well, at least they, they're confident that with Lukaku and, and with some internal improvement from the likes of Werner, Havertz, Mount, Ziyech, Pulisic, Hudson, Adoy, um, That's they, a scary combination crazy, of players you've just now and there. It's ridiculous. It's a crazy arsenal of attacking weapons. Um, and if, if there's internal improvement from them in terms of their finishing as well, they're confident that that ruthlessness in front of goal will be you know, a thing of the past that, as a problem. Let's finish then with one of our readers' comments. Obviously, this is this is Liam's pace. He's taking all the credit for it. Fernando D writes, I think this pace lays out a manager who has never been more confident in every area of his job. Tactics, man management and relations with the club executives. What this means for Chelsea is a manager aiming to push his players to chase perfection so that they can always catch greatness. Would you go along with that, Liam? Yeah, I think we're seeing with Tuchel a coach that is fully formed himself in terms of his methods. Um, Chelsea have have not only got the right man, they've got the right man at the right time in his career. Um, And he, at least at the moment, feels very confident that he is at the right club for him. Um, And as long as that is the case, as long as a world-class coach and Chelsea are fully in sync, history tells us that leads to trophies. Every time that's happened, it's led to trophies. Um, and so the the key for all parties is to ensure that, that that dynamic is maintained for as long as possible. But he has absolutely everything he needs to challenge for the Premier League title this year, to challenge on multiple fronts. It's certainly what Chelsea expect after, this, after the spending of the last two summers, but it's also what Tuchel expects. And, and you're seeing that's the standard that he's setting every single day. Thanks ever so much for stepping in today, Liam, and joining us. It's been great to chat Chelsea with you, and I hope you have a great rest of the week. You too, guys. Pleasure to be here. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dan, there's still a bit of time before we leave just to chat about some of the other stories we've been reading on on The Athletic. So um, shout out any pieces. What have you been reading? My favourite piece of the weekend was Jay Harris's Brentford piece. I don't, I don't know whether you read it, where he just went around and basically just interviewed fans, directors, executives. It was just a really, really good piece about what the weekend meant to them. And I think 
everyone apart from our producer Adonis who supports Arsenal got a, re- a really warm feeling watching that game on Friday and seeing the scenes after the game fans back seeing what it meant to them so I just thought it was quite, quite a heartwarming piece I've always got a lot of time for Brentford I like the way they operate I used to live near there so yeah that, that was my favourite piece of the weekend what about you? Um, one of the pieces I really enjoyed was was Carl's piece about the almost stars waiting for a move and all these all these really good Premier League players, but who have really big price tags and no one's interested, basically. Um, Bernardo Silva being one of them, touched on a few other players as well, who um, the yeah, clubs are hoping to make a bit of money on, but no one's willing to spend that much. And yeah. they're kind of in limbo with years left on their contract. Um, it, it's a very strange one. Gabriel Jesus, a um, lot of City players, basically. Um, and then there's a nice kind of stats piece from the opening weekend. Tom Werville looking at some of the stats from um, City's game and then uh, looking at Arsenal's game as well, Arsenal's defeat to Brentford and, and kind of what went wrong. And then looking at, at how Deli Ali kind of turned into this masterful defensive midfielder against City and, and that performance. So, yeah, two really nice pieces that I enjoyed. Yeah, plenty to read from the opening weekend. And you can read all those and more in full on The Athletic and subscribe for just £3.33 a month at the moment. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and you'll be able to take advantage of that very generous offer. Flo, that does us. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. All that's left to do is remind listeners to hit subscribe and leave us a review if they're feeling generous. Keep an eye out. There'll be another episode on this podcast feed tomorrow. Have a great day. See you later. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.